Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we go beyond Monopoly. <laughs> really? I, do we? I hope we do. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beej. I'm Beej, and I have no board game experience. And tonight, we're going to talk about that. We're talking about modern board gaming. So before we start, Beej, please, please, please tell me that you've played something beyond Monopoly. I've played Life and Clue and Trouble and Don't Wake Daddy. Oh, man, you're going to kill no. me here. Um. <laughs> no, no, I haven't played that many. I have played a few of the modern board games. My my niece and her husband are huge into board games, and we've played a handful of them with them. A lot of the ones we end up playing are more card games than they are board games. And I've played Catan years ago and things like that, but... Honestly, I haven't played a whole lot, not like the ones that you're talking about, because they're fun, the ones that I've played, but a lot of the ones that I've been introduced to have really complicated rule sets that are super hard to pick up for a single play session. Yeah, I can see that. If you you don't have the right games in front of you, it can be frustrating, especially to learn it that first time. Do you have, out of the ones you've played, is there like a type or a specific game that you prefer right now? Uh... Honestly, I like LCGs probably more than anything. I like things like Netrunner a lot. Um, also, more party games than anything. There's one that we play called Telestrations that is my favorite game. It's like the telephone game, but you're doing it as writing it down or drawing pictures where you try to interpret what the other person has drawn and then you pass it around. That one's really fun. You know, everybody plays Cards Against Humanity and things like that. And we've played Munchkin quite a bit. Things like that are most of what I end up playing. Okay, so a lot of those are kind of more in this like party game category where they're more casual, easy to pick up, and they're made to almost be played with like a bigger group, like Mm -hmm. instead of that focused, you know, three to five player, which is what most modern board games aim for. Those are more like you could do that or you could go up to like 10 or 15 players sometimes and get crazy with them. Exactly. Okay, it's good to know kind of where you're coming from. So for me, um, modern board gaming, well, if you guys don't know, like... (laughs) Modern board games are so much more than Monopoly and Clue and Sorry and like the things we played when we were kids. Um, Uh Modern board game, there's this resurgence that kicked off with Settlers of Catan, basically. And um, from there, a couple of the other big games that really took off were like Carcassonne, which is this Mm. tile laying city building game that's kind of the easiest way to say what it is and uh dominion which is one of the first deck building games where you like acquire cards and then they shuffle back into your deck so your deck evolves over time as you play through it i may have played dominion or it may have been is there one called ascension that's like that there is one called ascension it's different i've played ascension not dominion yeah but it's that same genre um those right. two don't play the same, but it's it's the same genre, so you're kind of in the right ballpark there. So if you were brought into modern board games a little earlier than I was, you've probably played one or all three of those games, you know, Catan, um, Carcassonne, or Dominion. Me, I got introduced to these modern board games about five years ago um, when I was working full-time in an office still. One of my coworkers who was into all the kind of, like, same kind of things that, you know, we are, all you listeners and me, you know, video games and gaming in general and, like, geeky stuff. And he was like, have you played board games lately? I'm like, no, I mean, I played them as a kid, but not really. And he goes, well, have you played good modern board games? It was kind of like, what do you even mean by that? So he's like, I'm going to bring <laughs> yeah. them in, we're going to play stuff over lunch, and we'll find something you liked. So, okay. My gateway game was Citadels, and it's still one of my favorite games. It's really, really good. Um, I don't know if I know anything about Citadels. 
So in citadels, you're basically trying to build like a well, a citadel, like a city, and okay. your overall goal is to just construct like eight districts. Um, the and you acquire gold, you get cards, you spend money to like play those cards to build them. That's not the interesting part. Okay. The interesting right. part is that it's a hidden role game, and there are a lot of hidden role games now which are cool. The mm-hmm. the interesting thing about this one is that you pick a different role every single time or every single turn in the game and the roles affect each other. So for example, like you could pick the assassin, which always okay. goes first. If I pick the assassin and you're like in the lead and you're about to win, I would want to use his power to like knock you out. So you can't have a turn that round. But instead of saying, I'm going to use his power on beige, I have to say, yeah. I think that you might be picking the king because it would be good for you this turn. So I'm going to use the power on the king. So you don't actually target players. You target other roles, but the roles are hidden until it's that person's turn. So it kind of like slowly reveals itself as you walk through the turn order, which is really, really cool to Uh, see. Okay. That's very hard to picture, but I can see, you know, it, 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 I could see how that would work to work like that. I just, it's hard to see without actually, you know, playing it and see or seeing a video in front of me. Yeah. So the main strategy of the game becomes about which role do you pick? Because it not only influences what order you go in, but it influences what power you get and how it affects the other players. Um, you know, you don't, the core of the game, yes, you're trying to build a city, but that's not like the moment to moment what you're worried about. You know, you really yeah. get into who am I going to pick this round? And that's where like a lot of the fun from that game comes. And after that, that game took off. And so there's a ton of other hidden role games out there now. Um, and there are other things like, have you ever played like Werewolf or Mafia? Yeah, actually, uh, Werewolf is probably the biggest game that we play as a group when we get together. Everybody just really seems to love it. And we've got a couple of different variations of it with all sorts of different roles in it. And then uh, haven't played Mafia, but there is an online game it's, that's it's on the Steam same game. and in the browser called Town of Salem, which is the same thing. It's just online. And I thought Werewolf Online would be the absolute most boring boring thing ever because you're not in a group of people having fun but town of salem is actually very fun and we ended up having a group together who got who got online and played together from work and that was a lot of fun you know getting in and even the griefer in me in online games like to mess with people a whole lot so i mean that's part of it but even online it was super fun in town of salem yeah, so if you like that, then Citadels could definitely be up your alley. There are other games in the awesome. same, like Masquerade, same idea, hidden roles, but executed mm. in a totally different way. There's a game that's called, I think it's like Mission Mars Red Planet something. If you Google all those words, I'm okay. sure it would pop up. That's <laughs> another variation on that kind of underlying theme, but, you know, executed in the, all these different ways. So, so there are these genres right. that have taken off that weren't really in old board gaming that are here now. And as time goes on, people are making them better, improving on them, iterating on them, and changing them so that you get different experiences. So Hidden Rolls yeah. is one that I like when it's executed well, and Citadels is probably still my favorite execution of it. You know, there are other spins on it that you can play. Like, you know, there are party games where you have someone who's like a betrayer and everyone else is trying to yeah. work together to find them out. You know, things like that that are in the vein of Werewolf and Mafia also. So there are a lot of options out there. Um, and I started with Citadels because not only was it my gateway game into this, but I also wanted to kind of kick off here with games that I would suggest newbies start with. So if which makes sense. Yeah. If most of the games I've mentioned so far, you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine, because if you were like I was five years ago, like it just hasn't crossed your radar. So 
here are a couple good jumping on points. If anything in this later discussion interests you, come back to this because this is kind of where I would say is a good spot to start. Citadels is a great one. I just talked about that, so I'm not going to dive in again. Ticket to Ride is a really, really approachable game. Um, and yeah. it still gets a ton of table time in my house. It's probably one of our most played games for my wife and I, and whenever we have people over, because not only is it easy to teach, it's easy to play, and it still remains fun even after you've kind of mastered it, which is rare. Right. Have you played Ticket to Ride at all? You know of this one, right? I know of it, and when we went out of town a couple of weeks ago, my friends had a couple of the Ticket to Ride games, and they were talking about how much they loved it, and the way that they describe it, my wife looked at them and looked at me and was like, I have no desire to play that game. That it is, it's a geography-based card game where you're laying down tracks and traveling across the United States is the way that they put it and the way they talked about it. And it seemed incredibly dull. And so we did not play it. Yeah, that's not the game. You are, you are like a train baron. And you get to construct railway systems to dominate the other players at the table. And you want to connect routes from different parts of the country to other parts. And if they only had the America version, that's actually the most, like, it's it's kind of where the game started. But it's yeah. also the least fun that you can have with that game. It's probably the easiest place to jump into it. But there are so well, many other sense. maps out there that are so much better. Like, every other map is more interesting, essentially. So if that's yeah, all the they America had, map, they had something else, but I don't remember which one it was. It wasn't just America, even though I know they had that one. The way that, yeah, it just does not, even the way that you describe it, that one just may not be a game for me. The setting doesn't do anything for me, and that has a lot to do with how interested I can get in a game, is because if I don't like the world and the aesthetic, then I'm just pretty much going to look at it and be like, mm-hmm, so I'm a train baron, am I? Okay. Yeah, and that happens. I mean, um... I have a distinct aversion to Euro style games, which are, do you know what I, do you know what I mean when I say Euro Not style? Not really. I, I thought I, I did. And then I tried to describe it and opened my mouth. And I was like, yeah. So apparently no, no, I don't. Okay. I knew we were going to run into this problem tonight, but I really wanted to dive into this topic because we hadn't touched right. it yet. So Euro games are usually like you have your individual player board this i'm generalizing here i know there are games that break outside this mold for those of you who listen who actually like are into board gaming right now but you have like an individual player board in front of you and you're trying to get some kind of like generally an economics engine up and running but sometimes it's something different and you mostly are focused on like your own little individual piece of the thing and you kind of interact with other people it might be a worker placement game it might be like an economy game it might be like managing little cubes on a board. I really, really don't like that kind of game. So I don't play them. And it's one of those things where, you know, you said that like the train baron thing and just the map threw you off. Anytime I look at a Euro game and I see all the fiddly bits on every like individual player's player board, I just... Fiddly bits! Yeah, I just kind of go, no, that that one's not for me. That... That sounds really terrible, too. Like, like just the way that you describe it, it's like, mm, I want to be Dwight Schrute for having fun. Mm. It's <laughs> yeah. like office work. Mm, boy. Yeah, so those are not my kind of game. But Ticket to Ride, I like Ticket to Ride a lot. Um, there's a lot there to, like, dig into. And like I said, it's very... Yeah, I can see that. It's very approachable if you have played board games in the past and you want something that's not, like, 
crazy modern that totally breaks away from everything you're used to if you need something a little closer to you know and it's not it's not monopoly it's not clue it's not sorry but something just like slightly closer to that vein of game to get you into it right this is a newbie coming to modern board gaming ticket to ride is a really good place to start and i would actually suggest getting the europe version of it and these are self-contained you don't have to buy the base game and then buy map packs even though you can do it that way um i really like the europe map because none of the railways are as long so the game goes quicker and it's much more about lay down a route pick up a couple cards lay down a route instead of america where a lot of the time you're picking up cards and waiting and picking up cards and waiting Mm, and then suddenly towards the end of the game everyone's just like trying to claim everything at the last second and that's i don't know it has a different feel to it but yeah ticket to ride can be a really good place to jump into gaming Okay, maybe I'll give it a shot at some point because I know when I saw a picture of your board game shelf that Ticket to Ride took up at least a fifth to a quarter of it. Um, I don't know if it's that much, but I do know like one of the shelves is probably about half full of Ticket to Ride maps because we play it. Like I said, it gets so much table time at my house, especially when we have new players come over because I can teach it in like less than five minutes, which is key, Mm. right? Um, That is key. It's so quick to learn. And I like having all the different map packs that I do because then depending on how many people I have at the table, I can pick the perfect map for it. So there's one map that's my favorite, but it only works for three people. Like that's the only way you can play that map and have it be as fun as it can be. Um, Which there, one is it? It's, uh, I always get them mixed up. It's like Switzerland, I think. Um, huh. It's one that has a bunch <laughs> of different countries that connect, and then you're in the middle. Yeah, it's got to be Switzerland. Ah, uh, okay. And then, like, Europe is kind of one that I go to if I think the people can take a couple more steps of complexity beyond the base game. If I really think that they just need, this is the basic game, so they can get yeah. their head around it, then I get out the America map, even though I don't love that one. But yeah, there are there are a lot of different ones you can play. And that kind of mixes it up too. The rules change a little bit. It adds some more to the game. So I like the variety of that one. The other one, which is one of my favorite games um, ever since I found it, <laughs> is Pandemic. Pandemic is... This this is the third one of my three games I'm recommending for newbies. Pandemic is, in my opinion, the best co-op board game that you can get right now on the market. So in Pandemic, you are basically like a worldwide version of like a CDC team, you know, Center for Disease Control, but worldwide. And you're working together to fight off diseases before they spread too much. And your overall goal is that you have to cure all four of these diseases before too many outbreaks happen. There's a couple other end states of the game, but generally that's the way that you're going to lose is if you get like three cubes of one disease on a city and then it comes up again, an outbreak happens and it kind of goes flying out to all the other cities connected to it. So you get into situations where the board state spins out of control. So it's all about controlled chaos and you are working with every other player around the table to try to solve this problem together. So you're either going to win together or you're going to lose together. That experience you have is like as a team. And I love that about it. You know, nobody's walking away going, I'm the winner. And no one's walking away going, oh, well, I lost because I'm the newbie. That sucks. Yeah. And that was what I was going to ask is if there was any kind of, I don't even know how to put it. If you're, I was going to ask if there's any kind of competition in there, if you can mess over somebody else, if you can mess with somebody else's game or, you know, play anything that makes it harder for someone else, or is it purely cooperative? It's mostly cooperative. Um, There are like four expansions for the game. And right. one of those expansions has 
I think it's like an ego terrorist role or something. We tried uh, it. We tried it once and we didn't like it. It basically turned the game into a four versus one instead of a, uh, like yeah. a four or five versus the board. So if you really wanted to do that, you could. But it's it's not the way that we have fun playing it at all. It's the way we play it and the way that almost every expansion does it anyway is just purely co-op so you you win or you lose together and you can increase or decrease the difficulty by how many of these like um epidemic cards you put into the deck that's kind of like the main driving deck for the game so you can start out on easy mode basically and work your way up to hard which is really nice too because you can start people off you can win a couple games without you know making people be like oh we're always gonna lose yeah because that's awfully off-putting for awfully off-putting it for newbies whenever they start like oh this game is just impossible to win yeah and like i i just i love co-op board games and they're more of them coming out but there aren't a ton of them yet the default is still kind of some level of competition on the board you know so pandemic just as a pure co-op experience i love it i love that game so much and i'll swing back around to it later but there's a version of pandemic it's not an expansion but it's called pandemic legacy and it is the single greatest <laughs> you're laughing because you know that i wanted to do this am. episode because i want to talk about pandemic legacy because it's the single greatest board game i've ever played and it's going to make my top five like media list at the end of the year and i need to talk about it before we get to the end of the year <laughs> if you guys are tired of hearing about firewatch and hamilton you just wait from this point on it's firewatch hamilton and pandemic legacy yes okay so those are kind of the basics right of modern board gaming right um before we get into more i know i've sent you a couple pictures of my collections you could send Uh back questions but you had a bigger question up front right right okay so everybody likes board games like all of my friends who i went to high school and college with have pretty much moved out of ccgs into either lcgs or board games and most of them are into board games now as opposed to lcgs because even then you still have to continually month after month buy the expansions with that in mind like everybody loving them around us my wife and i don't do this like we are not board game people we're not around groups of people very often what are good two-player games that we can play together and that later when we have a party or we have a game night that we can bring more people into them once we're familiar with them? And, you know, we know a lot of them that are good for these huge groups, these party games that we talked about early, but those are not fun for two people. We tried playing Exploding Kittens, just the two of us, and it was very boring and bland. But I know that getting more than two people in there is much more fun. And she is incredibly picky about board games. She's incredibly picky about anything that remotely resembles role-playing that it is she does not want to play D. she has absolutely no interest in it in simply pretending to be something else which is why the idea of being a train baron interested her not and ticket to ride settlers of Catan, that kind of thing that kind of economic and risk that just that level of strategy game she is not interested in at all all i think she put it she was like risk looks like the worst thing in the world and it's dumb and so what is something that we can play together that we will like based on her hating that kind of game in general that we can have fun together and expand to a bigger group okay that's a good question before i answer it first if you're out there and you're listening and you do like risk but you want a modern version that's much more interesting and much better um look into a game called small world because it's really cool. 
Okay, hmm. now to actually answer the question. Yeah, it seems like most games now are kind of designed for like three to five players. That's that's yeah. kind of most of them. And then you get the party games that are like five plus. And then you, it's hard to find games that are just made for two. But I did pull some out of my collection so I can make some recommendations. Right. First up, I'm going to say Pandemic is still really good for two players. Even for two people, you can do it and it's fun and it doesn't seem watered down. No, it really is balanced for it's either two to four or two to five, but every player yeah. count on the box works perfectly well because I played it with okay. every one of those and I liked it every time I played it. So Pandemic is still a good choice. She probably wouldn't like this one, but those of you listening, Memoir 44, if you want a head-to-head okay. World War II like, um, strategy game, that's a really cool game where you have, you're basically a general, like, I mean, essentially, and you have like three different lines of troops and you can only okay. give commands to like certain lines at certain times. It gets really interesting. But if you like strategy and that World War II setting, um, Memoir 44 is a really good, good two-player, just straight-up head-to-head game. Probably not right. for you in this case, though. Yeah, I don't think she would like that at all. No, okay. So one more that she might not like, but listeners might, called Condatier. And okay. you're like, uh, I don't even know the setting. You're french troops in some ancient time period and it's a mix between having um a card game and having like a board area control game and Hmm. that one works well for every player count on the box also i think it's about two to five that one's really fun um it's good head to head my wife and i still play that one a lot right but Again, that sounds like the setting might be a bit too far for her yeah it might be the setting on that one Because she's all about competition. She's a very competitive person, so it's not that part of it. But it is where you and I love the turn-based strategy stuff. That is just something that does not interest her at all. She cannot understand why I like it. She did play Hero Academy for a while, so there is a little bit of hope. Okay, so my first real recommendation for you in particular, Love Letter. Love Letter is a really cool, extremely lightweight game. It doesn't have a whole lot of rules to it. Almost all the rules are on the cards, and almost all of them are extremely simple. Um, You have this deck of cards that's like, it's I don't know the exact count. It's like around 20 cards. It's not that many. And you basically play with the whole deck. And every turn, you, well, the premise of the game is basically you're trying to, like, court the princess, And you do that by getting as close to her in, like, social rank as possible. So every turn you take a card off the deck, you look at what the role is. This is another one of those, like, hidden role games. And you compare it to the role that's in your hand. And then you have to pick one of them to discard. And as soon as you discard that, whatever the power is on the card happens immediately. So every single turn you start with one card, you drop a second card, and then you discard one. So you end every turn with only one card in your hand. So it's never, never complicated. And... My wife and I love that game. It's it's still amazing for us with two yeah. or three or four. There was one day where we had to go to urgent care for something for one of us. And yeah. we had my parents come, you know, watch the kids because it wasn't like an emergency. We just had to go. Yeah. Um, and so because we weren't emergency and you get triage, we were there for like five hours and we played Love Letter the entire time. Good night. Yeah. So that's that's a high recommendation for me. Okay. I'm also going to say Timeline is a really good one. Timeline is a game where you basically, I can't remember if you have a hand of cards or if you draw one card at a time, but you have just a, a line of cards and you pick up a card and depending on which version of Timeline you get, it's either like a historical event or an invention yeah. or, um, you know, it's, it's some 
something that can be quantified in history from when it happened, a discovery yeah. maybe, or you can get ones that are like modern theater and modern music. And yeah. you just have to put it where you think it goes in the timeline with everything other card out there. And if you oh. get it right, you get a point and it stays there. That's the entire game. That actually sounds like something that she and I would both really, really enjoy. And the thing about that one is when you know your own tastes, you can get the right version of it for you, which makes a huge yeah. difference also. I could totally see that. And she has pretty similar taste to mine just in terms of interests outside, you know, outside of the board game and role playing game kind of thing. We pretty much line up and we're both really nerdy history type people and trivia people. So that would that one actually does sound a lot of fun. And time sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, timeline is made so you can mix and match any of them. So you can pick up okay. one tin of it. I think they're like ten bucks a piece. They're very, very, yeah. you know, inexpensive. And you can pick up another one later, and you can mix them, and you can just keep adding to your collection. That really does sound pretty cool. Okay, so that's my first real recommendation for you. Um, another one I'm going to put here is Zombie Dice. Have you ever heard of Zombie Dice? I think I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Like, that's one that really seems like right on the edge of my memory, but I don't recall any details. So Zombie Dice is a basic push-your-luck type of game. You have, like, a, a little shaker where you keep the dice in. You shake it up, you right. reach in without looking, pull out three dice, and you're basically trying to... <laughs> you're trying to be a zombie in a zombie apocalypse so you want to eat brains so you roll your dice and you see how many brains you got and how many shotgun blasts you got and then you decide do Uh, i want to pick up three more and roll again or do i want to stop and score the points that i have and it's like the first person to get to 13 or whatever it is 11 13 21 i don't remember the number but you get the idea right right yeah so it, it has different colored dice that like a red die has more shotgun blasts on it and a green die is almost all brains. So you can kind of see when <laughs> okay. you pick it up how hard of a roll you're getting before you even roll it. You know, if you pick up three mm, greens, it's yeah. like, all oh, right, awesome. If you pick up three reds, you're like, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, I could. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That does sound interesting. And the thing about zombie dice is you can play an entire game in like 10 minutes, maybe 15 if it gets really crazy. Yeah. It's super fast. Yeah, the only thing that we've been playing lately is honestly poker. We've been getting together and just playing uh, five-card draw together. And then we were introduced on our trip to a game called Tripoli that we've played that we really enjoyed. That is a combination of like gin rummy and poker and something else that we can't remember. <laughs> but it's it's actually really fun. We didn't know how, how fun it actually would be. So those are the kinds of games that we play together. Okay. And cool. Scrabble. <sighs> I'm trying to help you out here, man. Um, so the last real recommendation. <laughs> Don't you judge me. For your particular, I'm judging, situation is Push Fight. Have you ever heard of Push Fight? No, not one time. Okay. I saw it on the list here and I've been, I can't wait to learn what Push Fight is. Push Fight is, sits somewhere between checkers and chess in terms of complexity. All right. It's a game that I can teach to somebody in about a minute and a half and you could spend a lifetime not mastering it. Like... It's it's a modern version of chess that is super, super approachable. On your turn, you can move two of your pieces, and then you can use one of your designated pieces that has the ability to push a line of any of the pieces. That's the entire game. Um, and then you put an anchor down to prevent one of your pieces from moving. The only thing you have to do is knock one of your opponent's pieces off the board, either end of the board, and you win. That's it. Hmm. So if the board were sitting in front of you and I told you that, you would instantly yeah. go, oh, yeah, I got it. 
Like, okay, that's yeah. all that it takes to learn the game. And I still play it with my kids. I still play it with my wife. I still play it with my brother. Like, none of us has mastered the game to the point where it's like, oh, that person's always going to win. Like, you end up yeah. with in chess. You know, if you're like a chess grandmaster, right. you're just going to win every time. And even if you're not anywhere that that good, it's if you're only if you're like me and you have no strategy when you're playing chess, where I like to watch the world burn, it's. I'm very rarely going to win, but I'm going to make a good player just really frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, so Push Fight is one that I know not a lot of people have heard about and I absolutely love, so I try to spread the word about it whenever I can. Especially if someone's coming over for a board game night, a lot of the time I'll use that as an opener because it, you know, we can usually play a game in like five or ten minutes. It's really quick. Yeah, I like that. That sounds really cool. And I'm assuming it's not terribly expensive based on it being so simple that I know some of these can be crazy expensive. But, you know, the, honestly, the more simple they are, the you know more affordable they are. Yeah, yeah, that one's not too bad. OK, so you also had a list. Like I said, I sent you that picture of my uh-huh. shelf and you had a couple other ones that you just wanted to know about based on the picture, yeah. right? Yeah, because I and I want to start with exploding kittens because I have exploding kittens. Uh, the oatmeal is like my spirit animal that I am just like crazy about Matthew Inman. And I bought it on Kickstarter. I have the NSFW deck. I have the box that meows when you open it up. Like I love the idea of it, but I've never played it in a large group. Just Jennifer and me. And we have, it was meh. Because for two people, it is just not terribly fun. Okay, um, Exploding Kittens. There are about two or three, maybe four games on my whole shelf that I actually regret yeah. owning that I wish that I could just not have bought or sell back yeah. or give to somebody. That's one of them. I Really? Yeah, I picked it up on a whim because I was at PAX and okay. I was in the Cards Against Humanity booth and I was buying a couple other things of merch that I knew that I would really like. And yeah. They had literally just launched the game. It was the first time anyone could buy it, like, publicly available. Oh, okay. So, on a whim, as I was waiting in line, I grabbed it. And every time I've played it, I've been let down by it. It's very simple. Really? It's not that interesting. I kind of had the same reaction you did. Just kind of, meh. Yeah. Oh, that makes me sad that it wouldn't get any better with a larger group, because I could totally see how it would, but not necessarily that it does. Yeah, I I've tried it a couple times and I'm I'm ready to give that game to someone or you uh-huh. know, there's not really one of the things is there's not a huge resale market for board games. So I'm usually very careful reading reviews and watching videos and doing my homework before I drop money on a game. And like I said, that was one I bought on a whim and I probably shouldn't have, you know, to go off on a tangent. Are you serious about the resale? Because I assumed it was the exact opposite of that. That once you invest that much money in it, that if you wanted to sell it, that you could pretty much make your money back on it. That at least because it would you know be in decent condition, you have all the pieces, and you get you know pandemic for three quarters of the price. Uh, it just because somebody's not playing it anymore. It's more the hassle of figuring out like what condition it's in, how many times it's been played, and then figuring out the shipping cost because uh, okay. they're heavy. Like the shipping cost on a board game to try to sell it to somebody else, that gets in the way a lot. Okay, I could see that. I didn't yeah. even think about how heavy a lot of these pieces are with the nicer sets being, you know, very heavy duty pieces made to last. Exactly. So that's that's kind of where the rub comes. Um, there are things out there like board game exchanges or like math trades 
where you can right. put in, you know, I have these four games I would be willing to part with, and I want this one specifically. And when you get thousands and thousands of people in a math trade, it'll try to make it work for every single person out there. Uh, so there there are ways to do it. It's just, it becomes kind of a pain. What else did you have on the list for the ones uh, you wanted to know? There was one called Whiz War that just sounded <laughs> cool. And I know it's not about peeing on other people. Like my fourth grade mind is telling me right now, but I have to know what it is. It's a wizard war. It's it's one of the games in my collection that is the most fun, but also kind yeah. of like, I don't know. You, you have to be with a group that's willing to just have like a fun, ridiculous time and not worry too much about how the game is balanced and who's going to win, you know? Okay. Um, It's... It's like, uh, so if you don't know, a lot of the modern board game publishers are going back to games that came out in the 70s and 80s and seeing which ones actually hold up and then bringing those up to modern standards, remastering them, tweaking the rules to make them better, and then republishing, re-releasing them with new art and updated rules. This is one of the games that falls into that category. So it's like you're in a dungeon. There are, you're supposed to play with four, but you can play with different amounts. But, you know, there's four wizards and you have some kind of objective. I think most of the time it's kind of a capture the flag type thing. You have to go get a treasure and then bring it back to your home base and score points. Or you can score points by killing other wizards. You basically just get a ridiculous hand of spell cards and you can just cast them at each other. And you can like okay. knock down walls and like put <laughs> acid on the floor. You can transform into like any wizard ability out there. There's probably some kind of deck in this game for it. And you can choose mm, okay. which sets of powers you shuffle in, which time you're playing. Like it's not a game that you're going to sit down and play game after game after game. It's one that you pull out to just kind of have a fun, goofy time one time, and then you're ready yeah. for something else after it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that's the kind of game that I actually like. Or I like big, silly games. That one of the, my favorite ones that we played was actually a Kickstarter game that was print and play before the actual game was released called Story Wars. Have you ever played it? Uh, maybe. I've heard of it. It, it's super fun because all of the rules are basically you can cast a spell, an item, and a creature every turn that you can play one of these. Everybody who's playing puts them on the table, and then as a group, you argue and decide who wins and why. Oh, that's so cool. if you have, re- there are no rules on who wins. There's, you know, you can play a dragon and a leprechaun, and the leprechaun with, with a Reese's Pieces cup or a Reese's peanut butter cup can win as opposed to the dragon with a rocket launcher. And it's just whoever tells the best story as to why they should win. That's the kind of game that I really get into. And I know that that wizard whiz war sounds like that. So that one sounds more along the lines of like apples to apples or cards against humanity, where you can kind of like make your case and table talk. And it's more about the people and less about the actual game rules. Yeah, that's really, and those tend to be the games that I'm the most interested in. Okay, cool. Me liking people over the game mechanics? That's impossible. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm a one-trick pony. I, I got nothing else going for me. I just like people. It's not a bad thing. Okay, so other ones from the collection. Um, You also wanted to know about Takenoko, right? Yeah, you sent me a picture of you guys playing it, and as soon as I saw the pieces, I... You guys, as soon as I saw the pieces of this, I asked him, is that the one that had the panda on the box? It is. And he was like, yes. The panda game. Because that's all I remember about it. I couldn't remember the name. I couldn't remember anything else. But the aesthetic looked so cool. I was like, yeah, I wanted to know about that. So tell me about the panda game. 
So we've been playing this one a lot lately because my kids are finally old enough to understand more than basic rules in a game. I'm trying to introduce them to some of these like modern board games when it makes sense and get them out of their little kid games because I'm glad they have fun with those and I have fun seeing them have fun. But as soon as I can stop playing the little kid games, it will save my sanity (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. So Takenoko is a game where you are... it's, It's weird because... The setting is like a Japanese imperial garden, but you're uh-huh. not playing one specific character. You're trying to accomplish different tasks, but you can you can on your turn do two actions. And the thing is, you can on any given turn do actions with the gardener, with the panda, or with like the imperial layout of the garden. And okay. you don't have to do every action on every turn. So you pick up objective cards and one of your objective cards might be, Hey, have three tiles laid out in this specific order. And then, you know, you can use your turns doing layout things, pick up tiles and lay them down. You might have cards that say eat three different colored pieces of bamboo with the uh, panda. Okay. So you want the panda to go eat bamboo on your turn, but there might not be pan- like bamboo on the board. So you might also have to use the gardener to grow bamboo so that your panda can eat the bamboo. Do you see where I'm going All with right. this? Yeah. All of the systems interlock and Everybody has different objectives at any given moment. So you'd never know what the board state is going to be when it gets back to you. So it's just kind of doing the best you can with the information in front of you on any given turn. And at the end of the game, you have this like beautiful Japanese bamboo garden with a panda in it. <laughs> yeah. And I love pandas. I love pandas and astronauts. Like <laughs> pandas in pandas in astronaut suits. Like I really love this. Like, and who, I don't know why, but I have a picture of one hanging in my office. I found a t-shirt that had an astronaut panda riding a bike. Like, there's a thing about astronaut pandas, and I am all in. Tell me that those have astronaut, that game has astronaut pandas in it. You can believe that the panda in it is an astronaut, and it would not affect the rest of the game. I might have to get a custom piece for this. Yes. So the thing, I've been playing that one so much lately because I kind of adapted it to play with my kids. We play with all of our objective cards face up and we try to help each other out. So our end goal is to just have a pretty garden at the end of the game. It's not competitive. Whereas normally you keep your objective secret until you score one and then you put it out in front of it, you know, the other players and you're like, ah, I'm closer to winning that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I like that game. I like the idea that you're able to modify it to where it is cooperative where it actually changes the way that you play the game, even though it's not intended to be played that way, that just by changing one thing, like flipping the cards over, that you turn it into a co-op game, honestly, kind of like Pandemic. We do that a lot with my kids. We play a lot of games. Sometimes all you have to do is just flip the cards face up, and that's all that it takes. Like, um, Pandemic with kids is a lot of fun when we play that way, and we all kind of talk through what you're doing, why you're doing it, you know? Uh, We also do, like, Ticket to Ride. Sometimes we'll play that with them, and we don't play it competitively. We just, like, try to help each other get our routes done and stuff. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that's fun. Um, The other game from my collection that you really wanted to know about was Mage Knight, right? Mage Knight. I I cannot not know what a game called Mage Knight is. Is it based on the World of Darkness RPG? Um, I know it's based on some older system, but I'm not, yeah. I'm very very fuzzy on the details. Okay, that's what it is. Then if it's based on an older system, I'm sure that's what it is because there was a WOD game called Mage Knight. Okay, so Mage Knight is both one of the most interesting games in my collection. 
and also the most complicated. Like, there's no Aww. question in my mind that Mage Knight is the single most complicated game that I own. Um, the first time that I taught myself to play, I did a solo game of it, and it took me four to six hours to figure <sighs> out how to play it. And then it took me probably six hours to play one solo round of it, like a tutorial round. And when I did, I saw how amazing these underlying systems are. And I realized that I am probably never, ever, ever going to get to play this game with anybody else because there's just I can't learn it well enough to teach somebody and also have the time to play the game on one night. Like, yeah. If if I want to dig into this game, which I'm not getting rid of it because it's actually like kind of an amazing game, but yeah, if I play it, I'm gonna have to play it solo, and I have I've played it solo a couple times, and I'll leave the board set up and play it over like a weekend because it's an epic game. Like there are wow. some epic modern board games out there that take you a huge amount of time to play, but are super rewarding, and this is one of those. That's that is insane to me that a single player round takes that long. I can totally get that multiplayer games can last hours and hours and hours, but a single player game in a board game that really does blow my mind because I have no frame of reference for it. Yeah, there's one game and I'm blanking on the name, but there's this huge game out there that's like a multiplayer game and it takes at least 12 hours to play and ah! they suggest that you play it over two or three days with the same group yeah like if you're in the same place for a weekend that's one that i've always wanted to try i think it's called is it twilight imperium twilight oh, okay no, yeah know. it is yeah it's something along those lines um i i'm not gonna buy that game because i know that i just i won't ever be able to make the scheduling lineup but yeah yep. mage knight is kind of in that realm of very complicated but also very very good games like the systems work you know if you have the time yeah. and you have the inclination and the setting appeals to you mage knight is a super complex game that you can sink your teeth into that sounds fantastic but it does seem like the kind of game that's almost like a dungeons and dragons campaign commitment where you learn how to play it you're coming back and you're doing these long sessions together and the game that you play together is mage knight yeah so mage knight like i said when i when i did sit down and play it i did it over it was either two or three nights and it was probably six hours total for the game that i played um yeah, it, it's definitely a commitment, but it's cool. You didn't have any other like major ones you wanted me to flag, right? No, those are the ones that really caught my attention for one reason or another. Okay, I'm going to fly pandas. through a couple here under different classifications. And some of these I already talked about, so it'll go quicker. Yeah. Um, some of these, like, I just wanted to mention that like there are some kind of like cool modern board games that they just have interesting settings. So if you like Game of Thrones, there are a bunch of Game of Thrones board games out there. And you could find one that you like, I bet. Um, if you like Star Wars, Star Wars has an X-Wing miniatures game, which is fantastic. I've played that a bunch. They have Armada, which is it's a different scale, but it's built in the same system as the X-Wing game. Oh, okay. So where the, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, the X-Wing game is about like squadron-based combat, like you know, individual X-Wings or TIE Fighters or individual ships, like dogfighting. Uh-huh. Um, Armada is about having a whole fleet of ships fighting against others. That one takes a ton of table space, so I don't own it. But I have watched friends play it, and I have seen it a bunch of places, and it looks very, very solid. It's built on the same system. So if you have the table space and that one appeals to you, I can recommend that just from what I've seen. They also have a Star Wars game called Imperial Assault, which is like a miniature tactics game. And Oh, okay. 
yeah, I played a mini campaign at a friend's house, and then I immediately went out and bought it because it's really cool. Oh, so okay. With these, I've seen X-wing miniatures played on I think tabletop on the Geek and Sundry channel. Yeah, and I really, really loved the idea of this game. Like I it. It was fun to watch people play this game, but are they like collectible miniatures games, kind of like Warhammer always used to be, or do you get the pieces in the set that you need to play it? No, you get the pieces and they're ready to go. Like, I don't like painting minis. This is not that kind of game. This is like you buy, if you go buy the base game, I think it comes with two TIE Fighters and an X-Wing, and that's all you need to play a complete game. And then you can go out and start buying individual ships or individual X-Wings. They all come pre-painted. They all come with all the information you need. You're never going to have to go out and buy 10 minis at a time. You're buying one unit at a time, maybe two, if you feel like spending the money. Yeah, because I've always wanted to get involved in miniatures gaming that the idea of, say, Warhammer or Warhammer 40K sounds so awesome. And then my wallet's like, no. <laughs> and so I never get a chance to to play it because like I'm not rich and don't have and I have no artistic ability so I might as well just like throw splotches of paint on them and be like yeah this this guy's like a clown I think yeah and this is where like Imperial Assault is a good option too because Imperial yeah. Assault has all of the figures in the game um I don't think those are pre painted but it's also it's not like a giant. You know, I, I've seen Warhammer. I've seen people playing Warhammer, and they come in yeah. with these giant fishing tackle boxes that are just top to bottom full of minis, and uh-huh. it's not like that. You know, at most, you have like five or six minis out on the table. Like, it's a small-scale tactics game, and it's really right. fun. And um, Imperial Assault is like a ground-level campaign, so you have, you know, stormtroopers and rebels on the ground fighting, and it actually has a continuous campaign through it, so you can play with the same group of people over time as you work through the campaign and like whether the rebels win or lose each mission does affect which mission they do next. So it it really does have like a storyline and a through line and you level up your characters, you gain abilities. It's, you know, kind of like somewhat D and D campaigny, but not exactly. It's much more tactical than that, but that sounds really cool. Yeah. It's a really cool game. So yeah, there, I just wanted to flag, like we talked about some of these other ones that are like the kind of, cool interesting modern board games like mage knight is definitely worth looking at even though it's probably not for most people to buy memoir 44 if you want a a different look at like a world war ii game um cosmic encounter is one of my favorites if you have a group that's willing to do it it's all about having galactic encounters with each other and that doesn't always mean having a fight sometimes it means negotiating sometimes it means losing on purpose sometimes it means like trading colonies and you're just trying to establish colonies on other people's planets basically so Cosmic Encounter is a really cool. cool one. Every person is a unique alien, and your alien power breaks the game in some way. And uh, the game comes with like a hundred, maybe more than that, aliens. So every time you play, you're breaking the game in a different way. That is cool. That at least is that sounds fantastic from the normal games that you have like three choices. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, I want to talk about openers. So. Okay. Openers is a term coined by the shut up and sit down guys, which I love the work they do on board game related content. But openers are like quick games that you would start the night with. This is not what you're going to okay. spend your whole night playing. They're really quick to teach, really quick to play. And then you move on to whatever like the 
big thing is that you're going to play for the night. So yeah. Love Letter, like I already mentioned, Zombie Dice is really good for this. Push Fight is excellent. Timeline, all of these games, you can play a full game in like 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm also oh, going to throw Sushi Go in here. <laughs> um, Sushi Go is a game where you basically like try to match pieces of sushi so you pick a card and then you take that deck and you pass it to the next person so it's simultaneous action you're all picking cards and passing them at the same time so there's never any downtime and a full game takes you like 20 minutes it's really quick that sounds neat yeah yeah so i like having a set of openers like that you can quickly get people into something finish it off and then move on to the main game for the night yeah i've never i've never actually done anything with an opener werewolf is generally the opener that we use yeah, and even that one takes a lot more time than any of these it does. Can. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to mention LCGs, which you mentioned at the top of the show. Mm. Um, if you don't know what an LCG is, it stands for living card game as opposed to CCG, which is collectible card game. Collectible card games are where you might buy like one base pack to start, but then after that, you're buying a random booster every single time and you never know what cards you're going to get. The LCG model turns that on its head. You buy a base set, you know exactly what's in that, and then every however often it's usually once a month for most of these games they will release a new pack and that pack will cost you like 10 or 15 dollars but it has every single card in it from that pack there's no randomness involved at all you have every single card you could ever play from that new set of cards is in that one pack and you only have to buy it once that's the model basically Although there are some, and I think with Netrunner, you don't get the maximum amount that you can put in a deck that you're building. So if you do want multiples, you still have to go out and either buy singles or buy multiple copies of the pack in order to have the maximum amount that you could ever use in a deck. That is only with the base game. So, okay, yeah, I have a lot of friends that do a ton of LCGs. And if they get super hardcore about it and there's like, one specific card like that in the base set they might have to buy the base set again which is kind of uh, weird okay. but it's it's never that way for the expansions so okay and most of the time like you know the way that power creep works as time goes on anyway the base set gets less and less relevant so it's right. not generally something you have to worry about oh i'd started playing netrunner when it was brand new before the very first one had even come out where it was just the base game so that was something that i thought it continued throughout the individual expansion packs no not at all it only the base games are that way all the expansions are like fully included three copies of every card okay. it's usually three cards max per deck so it's like three copies of every card um that you could possibly get from that expansion and awesome it's cool because it's it's this slow drip it's not always every month sometimes it's every other month or every month and a half but it's this slow drip of new cards that keep the game interesting and keep it like living you know that's why they call it a living card game and i actually got super into the game of thrones lcg when i was playing with this first group of people i was doing board gaming with I went to my first and only card game tournament for Game of Thrones LCG. Oh, wow. That was really, really fun. Um, So if you are interested in this model, Game of Thrones, they just rebooted it like not too long ago in the last six months, I want to say. So. Oh, wow. So you don't have to worry about this huge legacy of cards to catch up on. They have a new base set and they started with new expansion packs. So you can jump Ah. into that. There's Netrunner, which Bij mentioned. So if you're into, it's basically like cyber, what would you call it? Just like cyberpunk. uh, 
Oh, yeah, it's just straight up cyberpunk. Yeah, if you like cyberpunk, and that one is asymmetrical, one of you is a corporation and you're defending your servers, and the other person is a hacker attacking the servers, that one's really cool just for the asymmetric, like asymmetrical nature of it. And then, yeah, my favorite at the moment is the Lord of the Rings LCG because it's a co op game. And I think that's really cool because every like expansion you get has new quests to go on and like new adventures to do. And you can even play it solo, which is what I do a lot of the time. Um, But I've played it with two, three. I think I've played it with four people. Like it works with any player count. I've only played it with two people uh, with just the base game. Austin and I played it. He bought it when I bought Netrunner. And I watched him play some solo games as well. And it's interesting, but... And he's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I mean, his Lord of the Rings is like you and me with Star Wars. And so he was way more into it than I was. And it was fun, but I don't think I would spend money on it. That if you know somebody who has it, then definitely go give it a shot. Yeah, every time I played it with people, they were surprised how much they liked it by the end. And okay. um, I, I like the fact that it can be played solo because you play different kind of decks if you're playing with a group versus solo. Mm-hmm. Because if you're playing with a group, you might design your decks into like roles, you know, like you would for an MMO, yeah. kind of like Holy Trinity type thing. Whereas if you're solo, you design one deck that's supposed to just tackle the whole game. And that's that's a whole different feel to the game. So you yeah. can play through the game with different player counts and get a different feel every time, which is really nice about it. So those are kind of the main LCGs out there right now. But Fantasy Flight Games, who is the publisher of most of these, um, is yeah. they're working on more. I mean, I'm sure there will be more of them. Oh, I have no way. I have. There's no way that they're not. Yeah. So games that in general get the most table time at my house, these are all ones I talked about already, but Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, and Push Fight, by far, those three. Yeah. Um, Takenoko has gotten a lot in the last week, but I mean, just in general, over the last like couple years here, those are the main ones. And then, like I said before... Co-op games can be amazing with kids, and you can you can mod a lot of the games that you might have sitting around that are competitive. Find a way to make them more co-op. You know, change the rules on the fly. Do something so your kids can get involved. I really, really like playing games with my kids that way. It's awesome. Yeah. We always actually did that with Werewolf, where one of my little cousins wanted to play, but was not quite old enough to be able to get it. So Jennifer always sat with her and took her, and they basically conferred on doing everything, where she didn't know what was going on. She played like we did, with our eyes closed and all of that, but then basically they had a small council where they decided who to do what to. And so it was always fun. Just, I mean, it didn't break the game or anything to have two people making one choice, but it was just a fun way to bring in a kid who wanted to play but couldn't have done the entire thing by herself yeah there's lots of ways to do it that make it more approachable for kids which is really cool all of that to say that the best board game i've ever played came out in the last year it's called pandemic legacy um i already explained the basic game of pandemic and when you start pandemic legacy that is how it starts your first game is a basic game but as soon as you start and you get into it, you start triggering events that permanently change the game for the rest of the time you're playing it. You might start playing and then finish an objective in the middle of a game, and you might need to beat, you know, two objectives to, like, win that particular game session that you're doing. And okay. as soon as you finish that one, it might say, take this, tear it up, and then go open this box over there. And that box mm-hmm. might have stickers in it. It might have new pieces. It might have an entire new way to play the game or gameplay mechanic in it it might have new characters it might have i'm trying to talk in generalities because i don't want to spoil the game for anyone it might have superpowers it might have ways to completely like destroy 
sections of the game. Um, wow. While playing the game, again, speaking in generalities, you tear up a lot of cards, you put down a lot of stickers, you uh, progress different cities along a track to the point where bad things can happen. It huh. might turn into, I'm going to do spoilers here, if you need to jump ahead 15 seconds, three, two, one. It turns into a zombie game, and it's amazing. Zombie okay, that's kind of what I expected. Happens, and it's sweet. So, okay, end of spoilers for that. But legacy games are a new thing. Um, it's a game that you can complete, right? Basically, okay, you, yeah. you take a shot at beating this month, and if you can complete... The objectives you need to in that one game, you have completed the month. If you fail those objectives, you get a second shot at that month. And then if you still can't do it, you progress to the next month anyway. So playing through season one of Pandemic Legacy, which is the only thing that's out there right now, is going to take okay. you somewhere between 12 and 24 gameplay sessions. And it, it's the most fun I've ever had with a board game ever. It, it okay. just blew me away. When Based on what you're saying right now, and I didn't understand this quite I didn't quite understand this part of it when you and I had talked about it a bit before. When you say that you are permanently changing the game, you mean not just within the sessions that you're playing to beat it. You are saying that you have one shot going all the way through this game until you buy another copy of Pandemic Legacy. That you are altering the actual physical game to the point where you can't start over. Yes, that is exactly what it is. So you want to play okay. with the same group over and over because you build the world together. You name the diseases together. The diseases morph, you know, and you want to know what's happening as a group. Like the CDC, your very objectives change in the middle of the game. Like wow. you put down stickers that will permanently affect cities on the board or traveling between cities on the board. Again, trying to stay vague because I don't want to spoil yeah. the amazing reveals that happen in it because Every time we had to open a new box, we were just like amazed. And okay. when the first time you flip through the rule book for Pandemic Legacy, you see that probably half of the rules are not in there. Half of the rules are in the boxes. Huh. And when you open the box, it gives you a bunch of stickers to put permanently into your rule book that add up whole new gameplay mechanics. Wow. That is absolutely insane. Like, I thought that it was just legacy game in the way that you were moving from session to session to session, carrying on the same story, kind of like, you know, like you said, with the Imperial Assault game, something like that. I didn't realize you were tearing up cards and blowing up and potentially ripping off part of the board and things like that. Yeah, so... My game of Pandemic Legacy Season 1, like, I could never use that board again. Like, it's pieces have been destroyed, cards have been torn up, stickers have been placed. If I want to play through Pandemic Legacy again, I need to go buy another copy of it, and I'm fine with that because the experience I got out of it was so worth it. How much is it? On this one, I know we're not talking a lot about price on any of these, but I have to know how much Pandemic Legacy is versus regular Pandemic. I have no idea. I haven't looked in a while. I, All right. I bought it almost right after it came out because it was getting such amazing reviews. So I don't know what the price is at the moment. All right, you're dead to me. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so all of that, so I can talk about Pandemic Legacy. It, it, <laughs> yep, it, exactly. That is. It will be on my media of the year list at the end of the year here. Before we jump over, I know we're already going long. Um, before we jump oh, to... Oh, before, I, yeah, I do have one more question about Pandemic Legacy. 
you can play Pandemic with two people. Can you do Legacy with two as well? Could Jennifer and I play an entire season of Pandemic Legacy by ourselves? This just being the thing that we're doing together? Yeah, yeah. I have friends who've done that with their spouses, and it, they said okay. it went great. We played it with three all the way through. It was my wife, my brother, and I. Yeah. And um, okay. that was good also. I've heard people who've played it with four, and I can't remember if it goes up to five. But I've talked to different friends who've done it with different player counts, and it, it works with any player count, basically. Okay, yeah. cool. So before we get into Weekly Geekery, even though I know we're going along tonight, um, I just want to say like <laughs> the hardest part of this right now is that the point we're getting to with modern board games is the point that we're at with modern video games, where if somebody who has never played a video game comes up to you and says, what game should I play? And you have no other context, you have no idea what to say to them, right? Yeah, that's and very true. People don't realize that board games have gotten so diverse in the last five years here that they're in the exact same spot like if any of you ask me on twitter what game should i play i need more information right like i can't just tell you like i gave you a couple newbie games at the top of the show but like i don't know you, you like you need more info from people you need to know what they're into what kind of mechanics they like what kind of settings they like what kind of person they are like there are so many games out there so if you want specific recommendations, you can ask me on Twitter. I'm happy to help. Just know that there's this whole world of modern board games out there. And if you haven't looked at board games since you were a kid, you really, really should. Because of that, I'm going to leave you with one resource, which is my favorite resource for modern board games. Shut Up and Sit Down. Shut Up and Sit Down is by far like the best site you can go to especially their video reviews, which they're now putting on YouTube. They weren't for a long time. They were just on their site and on Vimeo, but they're on YouTube now. But Shut Up and Sit Down also does written reviews. They do previews. They do game news. They do podcasts. Um, the two best things that Shut Up and Sit Down puts out are their video reviews of games and their video rules explanations. So if you see a game you like and it's a big game, check out shut up and sit down and see if they have a rules explanation because they can probably teach your group the game faster than you can and i've used that a bunch of times you just tell your oh, friends that's... you tell your friends can you please shut up for 10 minutes and you will learn this game instead of us sitting here talking back and forth trying to figure it out for 20 you know if you just watch yeah. this video you will understand enough so we can just start playing and honestly, that's the way that I would prefer to learn rules, that people who know games too much, that they're too deep in them, don't know how to explain it to somebody like me who's just coming in and reading rule books. It's terrible. Like there is there are very few games where I can read a rule book and actually start playing the game immediately. But if I watch a video breakdown, I know exactly what to do. Yeah. I've done that with other games before, and it's it's fantastic. A lot of the publishers are finally catching on that they really need to do that. So I'm seeing more and more just in the last year or so publishers that yeah. as soon as they launch a game, they make sure that there's a tutorial video online. And it seems like that's a really good trend that I hope continues. Yeah, I hope it does. That's awesome. So before we get to our weekly geekery, I was on the comic box this week and it was awesome. Um, if you don't know, the comic box is one of the other podcasts on the network. It's hosted by Rob. It's all about comics and it's awesome. I listen to it every week and I love it. Even though I'm not a huge comic book guy, it always has interesting information, especially his main topic yeah. where he dives in deep on something. So this week we talked about the history of Luke Cage and we kind of just talked about the wider like Netflix MCU, which 
I really like what Netflix is doing. So Luke Cage is coming yeah. out. When you guys are listening to this, probably it's either already out or it's out tomorrow, depending on how soon you download yep. the episode. So go check that out. Go listen to the episode of The Comic Box, where I was on it for the whole time. It was a lot of fun. And the other announcement, we have a subreddit. Woo, subreddit! Which BJ's excited about. I'm excited about it, I am, too. I'm super excited about this. Like, I didn't think I was going to be excited about this, and I love this subreddit. Like, I love it. We Yeah, we already have a ton of really good conversation going on there, which is super cool to see. We barely told anybody about it. We just kind of put it out on Twitter. Very just, hey, do you guys think this would be a thing you'd be interested in? And a ton of people jumped in and started having long-form conversations that are more than 140 yeah. characters. And I'm already loving it. So yeah. if you do Reddit, it's just the subreddit is geek to geek cast if you haven't ever done reddit before don't worry it's super simple to make an account our subreddit is at yep. reddit.com slash r that's how you get to a subreddit so reddit.com slash r slash geek to geek cast and i i hope more people jump in because i already love the conversation and i can only see it getting better with this small community that we have yeah and that's one of the things i wasn't a big redditor before and i've done it a little bit it takes a really good subreddit to make me want to join in and talk. And what we are doing with the subreddit is what we wanted to do with this podcast is to be able to talk to you guys, get to know you as people, and have that really positive community of geeks without the toxicity and negativity and just vitriol that comes with a lot of uh, gaming and geek culture that we want this to be a very fun, comfortable place for you guys. So even if you're not a redditor even if you're somebody like me who had to delete the reddit app off of your phone back when you know i was using alien blue before there was a reddit app because so many people were so negative that it was affecting you in real life and you've avoided reddit for one reason or another please sign up come talk to us because that is the opposite of the subreddit that we're trying to run we want to build something great for you guys and i'm going to give the tip that i always give to any person who hasn't done reddit before if you've seen it from the outside or you've just visited and never made an account, you have only ever seen the default subreddits. The default subreddits are where all of the most vile trolls lurk. That's where the most people are. You're always yeah. going to get negative comments in those. The best way to have Reddit and to actually use it, make an account on Reddit and immediately unsubscribe from everything that it automatically has you subscribe to and go find yes. your own subreddits. So add us first because it's awesome geek to geek cast subreddit but there are so many other ones out there like instead of going into the gaming subreddit which is the one that has a million people and vile trolls there's this one called patient gamers that i really really oh, it's like so good it's really really good um you know if you're interested in jrpgs like we are go to the jrpg yeah. subreddit or there's a final fantasy subreddit we just did three episodes on that like dive in and find these smaller niche topics that you can really dig into that you're really interested in. Like you you do some exercise ones, right? Or running? Yeah, I do some of the running ones. And one of the ones I like way more than just running is actually called Running Lifestyle, where it's people talking about just life as a runner as opposed to, you know, the training or what shoes you're wearing. It's like, hey, this is a wonderful day. I had this great run in the morning and the sun came through the trees and I felt really fantastic about life for the first time. 
time in a while. Just stuff like that. And a lot of the smaller subreddits are actually moderated way more heavily than the larger ones. So the negative comments that are on the front page are not present at all. Yep. Yep, exactly. Okay, so some announcements this week, but time for Weekly Geekery. Yeah. Or if you don't know, it's what we share what we've been geeking out about this week. I'm going to gloss over most of mine because I went long talking about board games and that was really fun. Uh, But why don't you go first? Okay, so I am not an artist that I should get that out there. Like I'm a writer. I have always considered myself good with words, but I don't have a very artistic eye. I'm not a photographer. I can't put things together. I don't see things the way that visual artists tend to see things but recently over the last couple of weeks i've been really really interested in graphic design but not so much graphic design as i've been working on various web projects and i am liking individual pieces of graphic design and really diving in on them that more than anything i like color palettes and complementary colors i've been finding all sorts of resources online just to show me how to pair colors together in both contrast and complementary in ways that don't make them look like geocity sites from the 90s and then on In addition to that, font pairings. I used to make fun of one of my friends because she was all about kerning and font pairings and was really nerding out about this stuff. And I realized today that I have another tab open as we're recording this that are like the top 10 hipster fonts of 2016, just so that I can see what other people are using and seeing the history of these typefaces and what's working, what works together, that which sans serif works best with modern serif fonts and the fact that i know that there are modern serif fonts now is insane to me and that i know what that means and i never thought i was going to be that guy who could see stuff like that and just the research that i've done has me really excited about something as simple as fonts and it came from using a service called canva and a lot of you guys may use canva for different things but it's a very easy to pick up graphic design software that's basically Photoshop for the stupid like I am or I shouldn't even say stupid it's the it's graphic design for people who don't understand graphic design but I've learned how to take templates on there and change them into them not looking like they used to but having a base idea of oh this is how composition works oh this is how color works together and so I've been geeking out a lot about fonts and graphic design and it's super weird because that is not like me at all but i'm having a really good time with it man nice it's cool it's always fun to find a new thing that you can dive into that's new to you anyway um for me i've mostly been playing a lot of games i'm still doing my zelda like light playthrough where i'm sampling all the zelda games but not beating them all because i i already have so many of these that i've beaten and multiple times and formed opinions on and i've just played them over the years so i'm flying through them you know um I've done write-ups that'll go live on the blog probably in a couple weeks. I think I have a couple-week buffer right now. But um, I did Link's Awakening, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and then Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons in the last week because all of those I had strong opinions about and I didn't have to play very much to actually be able to write my posts about them. Um, I still think Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons are two of the best 2d zelda games out there they're really really good so good yeah they're amazing how well those two games hold up i'm also still doing the gamefly thing where i'm basically using it as a demo service for these like 
B and C tier games that I just (laughs) glossed over. So I tried Xenoblade Chronicles X. I hated it. I tried Mad Max. It was super generic. I tried Dark Souls 3. It was the most approachable Dark Souls or Bloodborne that I've played. Mm. But I got to a point where I just couldn't figure out how to go further. Like, I didn't die. I Uh. didn't die at all, which was weird because every other one of those games I got destroyed in. And, like, I beat the first boss on my first try. I beat everything that came up. And I just, I don't know, there were some locked doors and there was no obvious way to go forward. So I got frustrated and quit. And then I played Tokyo Mirage Session Sharp FE. And that one... I really, really had to dig into you to know if I liked it or not. I like the systems. I like the style. I like a lot of the underlying mechanics of the game. I do not like the setting. And the setting was eventually oh. enough to kind of push me away. It's it's okay, that so, like Japanese idol culture setting. Oh, that okay, that's the one you were telling me about. All right. I didn't know I couldn't remember the name of the game, but yeah, you were telling me about this with had to explain to me what Japanese idol culture was, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. So just the setting didn't do it for me, but the JRPG, like the underlying structure, I liked that part a lot. So I actually dug into that game more than any of the other ones in there. Um and then I also I actually finished my first season of anime ever. I watched Attack on Titan. I told you that, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, you did. I watched one episode of it and realized it wasn't for me, but I hear so many wonderful things about it that there has to be something there that other people like. Um, I liked it, and then it just kind of ended, and it didn't actually have a uh. conclusion, and that made me angry at the end. Yeah. Like, I, I thought it was a whole story that had been told because it's been out there for years. But no, it just ends, and there will be another one eventually, I guess. Oh. Um, there's a movie coming out, I think, that maybe that continues it? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I think there's a separate like live-action movie that's a retelling or something. Oh, uh, okay. That's probably what you're thinking of. Oh, that's going to be weird live-action. Yeah. I also tried the Dragon Quest Builders demo, and I thought that it yeah, was... You're... Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting it's like minecraft but actually having concrete objectives which i really liked it's a game where like i would probably buy it if it were 20 or 30 dollars but it's definitely not like a 60 dollar game for me Mm. but there are some cool things in there so i'll probably rent it or wait until it falls way down in price and then pick it up on the cheap later what system is it for it is vita and playstation 4 okay so yeah you should definitely gamefly that and at least get through it since that's one of the few that you've tried that you actually like that much yeah and then the other one i don't even know if i told you i played this but i was playing halcyon 6 starbase commander no no you hadn't told me about that one okay i'm still playing it off and on because i really don't know what i think of it and uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm really good at like playing a game for 30 minutes to an hour and having a fully uh-huh. formed opinion on it just because I've played so many games in my life. I, I cannot like it, I just can't <laughs> coalesce a full thought about Halcyon 6 because it has all of these disparate gameplay systems mashed into one. It's kind of slightly like a 4X game in that like you're okay. going out and exploring, but it's also a base building game kind of like the XCOM base where you are on this ancient spaceship and you have to like explore the rooms out from what you've already explored and you might encounter aliens or you might not and then as soon as you finish that room or clear that room you can build there so it's a base building game but it's also an exploration game and then you're also dealing with like pirates and you're dealing with like aliens and you're also Mm. resource managing and the whole thing is all done with JRPG battle systems. That sounds incredibly odd. It's it's really weird, but I think I might like it. 
Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like No Man's Sky. No, no, it's not like No Man's. No, I just, <laughs> I, I just don't know what to make of it. Like, even the ship combat, the ship to ship combat, you send out a fleet to go have an encounter with another fleet or on a mission or yeah. whatever. And when you get into battle, your ships are lined up on one side of the screen, and you get turn based JRPG combat. Huh. And that's the same thing huh. when your guys are on the ground, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's like base building resource management game also an rpg game also an exploration game also a space game it's it's weird but i like it that is super weird maybe i like it i'm glad i'm glad this but that's awesome i'm glad to see that you have a game from gamefly that you think that you might like that was not so far that one is just i know it's just a steam game i picked up because it was getting a lot of talk in the last couple weeks no I feel like Darth Vader right now. No. Oh. Yeah. No, no Gamefly game has made it more than two days without getting turned around. But maybe one of these days. That's exactly what I wanted to use the service for. I'm not upset. It is. You've tried these games that you've been thinking about working through your backlog. Yeah, exactly. And we had this question on Twitter, and so I wanted to talk about it since you mentioned it with Halcyon 6. You mentioned 4X games, and there are people out there who don't know what they are. That when somebody asked that the other day, I thought it might be a good place right here to be able to just explain that genre to people who aren't familiar with it. I probably shouldn't have said 4X in the context of this because it's not a 4X game. It just vaguely reminded me of them. But 4X game... Oh, man, you're asking me off the cuff. I'm not going to remember what the four <laughs> things are. It's like explore, <laughs> expand, exterminate, X something. There's another one in there, I'm sure. There is, and I can't remember what it is either. Yeah, they're generally games where you start on like, if it's a fantasy one, you probably start in one city. If it's um like a space one, you start on one planet, and you push the edges of your empire as much as you can by exploring and upgrading and having economy maybe the last one stands for economy um explore expand exploit exterminate there you go that's it and google there are a ton of games out there in the 4x genre and i I, the 4x genre is one this is a bigger topic i know it's on our topic list games that we want to love but we can't quite seem to love right i have bought so many 4x games because i love the idea of them and then I don't know if I've ever played one that I actually liked once I sat down with it for a couple hours. Yep, I know every time you're like, oh, here's this 4X game. I'm really thinking about buying it. I'm like, dude, no, you never like them. Don't waste your money on this. It's one of the few genres that I told you that whenever I mention it, tell me how much I don't like it. Because yep. I, I forget. Like, I don't know why. I just forget every time. I do the exact same thing, though. There are often games like Minecraft and that kind of building game. Like, I'm super excited about Dragon Quest Builders, and I'm going to go download the demo. And I love the idea of these, and I always play them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't like these. These are kind of boring, and this is not really fun because I don't like building things. Oh. But I love the idea of building things. Yeah, there's there's a difference there. We That's on the topic list for another day. It is. I have games that we want to like or think we might like and don't just don't <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah okay we've already gone long um as always you can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek to geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter which is the better place at geek to geekcast we also have longer discussion threads now on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek to geekcast and if you want to get email updates about any of our network's podcasts you can sign up at geek to geekcast.net and tell us what shows you want updates about 
I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And remember that it's not at void. That is someone entirely different for yeah, you guys who have I don't know uh, who that included is. that lately. I don't know either, but it's not you. Nope. I've made that mistake too, you guys, so don't feel bad. <laughs> and I have, I really have. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beege. That's Beege with the two E's I stole from his green mushroom. And I host the Geek Fitness Health Hacks podcast, which is on its way back soon ish as soon as i can make myself start running and it lives at geekfitness.net and i also wrote some pretty cool science fiction and steampunk novels that you can check out at bjkeaton.com we've been void and beige with your geek to geek podcast that'll do it for this week see you next week geeks bye 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 bye